Welcome to episode 69, part two of Contested Catch. We are back once again during this holiday week, weekend situation we've got going on. We are joined once again by our co-host, data specialist, the man, the myth, Jeff Gould. Jeff, you are back from your from your uh, holiday leave, which was granted by corporate by the higher ups. Uh, how was your How was your holiday? Uh, very good. Well, thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well, and to all of our listeners. Uh, you know, great holiday, and even better to be in the championship. Yes, yes. I uh, I alluded to it in the solo pod. Um, I said I wasn't going to steal your thunder, but I wanted to let everyone know that you made it and that uh, you're rolling. So why don't you give us your uh, your thoughts as you you know embark on your championship journey? Uh, I mean, I think the best part about this past weekend is just that I wasn't even worried. <laughs> That's a deep cut at Joe Erickson. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, I mean, it was actually a really close matchup. Um, you know, I was going up against a friend of the show, Mike Kazor, who's had by far the best team throughout the course of the season. And then, I mean, Ryan Tanigo just went out and dropped 37 in the one o'clock games. And, uh, but, you know, Jalen Hurts just matched them shot for shot in the four o'clock mm-hmm. slate. And, and then it was just over and I was able to pull my defense uh, ahead of the Monday night game and just relax and have my finals berth all locked up. Well done. Well done. Um, Okay. So Jeff, Merry Christmas as well. Um, What was the favorite present you received or gave this holiday? Hmm. Well, I was just telling you the favorite present that I'm giving, which Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, hopefully James is not standing outside the door because he hasn't gotten it yet, (laughs) but it is a canvas print of Josh Allen with a little Vincent Van Gogh style uh, painting of it, uh, like of the picture of him doing the dive on the QB sneak against Dallas in Thanksgiving last year. Yep, that's awesome. I love that one. Um, you know, you should really make a canvas print of like one of your CPOE <laughs> EPA per play <laughs> charts or something, something that really like shows Josh's dominance in 2020. <laughs> that would be. That would be just ironic. That oh, could go in know, like I did. Um, I made a completely useless plot of maybe I don't remember if it's earlier this year or over the summer, and it was the it was the moving averages, but instead of being it over like time, it was like EPA on one axis and CPOE on the other one, and it was just like a map, and but it was like you couldn't actually read it because it just jumps all over the place. But it's just right. it looks funny. Looks like a random walk. Yeah, it looks like someone's like was just given a, a shot of some accelerant <laughs> drug, and then you're looking at their heart rate or something. It's all over the place. Uh, it's like you're looking at yeah. You went to Amsterdam, had some of those uh, legal herbs, and then checked your like <laughs> uh, maps path three hours later. Yep, exactly. Um, okay, so I'll I'll answer as well. So. Um, my favorite present, I'll just go with received because I've got two things I want to bring. One was uh, my dad got me and him because we've got a uh, sports memorabilia collection, a uh, an AFC's champions football for the Bills to commemorate that. So even if we go to the Super Bowl, you know, do anything else that's awesome this year, this is still a big deal because it's the first time we've been AFC champions since the year we were born, Jeff. So I think that is an awesome gift. And then I also got a shout out, friend of the show, uh, one-time guest so far, hopefully to have him again uh, going into next season. 
But um, Jack Wine Coop, one of my best friends, got me a, uh, a custom Bills jersey. It says my name, and it's got my high school football number on it. So I thought that was really cool as well. And so I'll wear that for uh, hopefully another Bills win on Monday night. We'll talk about that game a little bit later in the show. But first, Jeff, I think we should talk about Friday night football. I mean, it's just crazy. I think we've had football every day of the week this year, except for when have we? Did we have a Wednesday game? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, the Ravens Steelers game, right? So we've had every single, yeah, every single day of the week during this football season. That they might be the biggest blessing of of twenty twenty NFL. Uh, so, anyways, we had Friday night football, and that was, of course, uh, you know, the Christmas Christmas Day Christmas evening game uh, between the Saints and the Vikings. Christmas so obviously, on the West Coast. Uh, <laughs> um, so there's only one thing to talk about with this game. I mean, there's little peripheral things, but there's only one main thing. And Jeff, as you pointed out before we started recording, this should be deemed Kamarageddon. Um, six touchdowns over 150 yards, not really any receiving game to, t- to speak of. And, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I guess we don't need the receiving points this week. Oh, it must have been because he had six Freaking rushing touchdowns. Should have been seven. Uh, should have been seven. Taysom Hill, you know, got his licks in there. One last, <laughs> one last punch to the fantasy manager gut uh, this season. But Jeff, what were your takeaways from Kamara's legendary explosion? And just to add a little bit more context here, this was the uh, biggest fantasy running back performance ever during Week 16, which is typically fantasy football playoff uh, championships. Excuse me. Um, it was the fourth biggest all time, I think during uh, the fantasy playoffs, so weeks 14 through 16. And Ma- Matthew Barry tweeted out like the whole list of, of where this ranked historically. But it just take my word for it, it was a historic, historic performance. So Jeff, what were your takeaways from Friday Night Football? Well, those cleats were gorgeous. They were? Uh, you know, you don't wear those cleats and just not ball out. The Vikings probably should have just thrown in the towel as soon as they saw him step on the field. And secondly, he's just the best player in the NFL, as I have said on this podcast, since our inception. Okay. And I, I had a feeling that was going to come up. Um, <laughs> now, I don't want to come off as Scrooge here, Jeff. I really don't. But I want to shift some of the praise, some of the excitement and, you know, deserved credit from Kamara and towards the offensive line. And the reason is I watched every one of those six touchdowns. Um and I've got to say, with the exception of like one or two moments where Kamara really put his foot in the ground and carried one or two defenders into the end zone, these were not exceptional touchdowns. These were not touchdowns that would even really crack his top 20 plays this year. I really think that like all six of those touchdowns, there might be one. The very first one where he broke away for 40 yards might crack his like top 20 plays this year. And even then, that was like a straight shot and he's just too explosive. And I'll be honest, like, that doesn't really impress me anymore because I've seen guys like Raheem Mostert and Damian Williams, um, guys that have great straight line speed that get a hole in a good offense and a good offensive line and then go for 40, whatever whatever yardage that they they have to get to the end zone because that's what their main attribute is, is straight line speed. I don't th- I don't think of that of Kamara like that whatsoever. But my point is, Jeff, I just didn't find these to be exceptional plays. He wasn't putting the team on his back. He was just getting the handoff and the offensive line was opening up holes or driving the defense back. And he ended up with six touchdowns. I honestly think Latavius Murray could have had six touchdowns. I think Taysom Hill could have had seven touchdowns, to be completely honest with you. So, I mean, is this me being a Scrooge? 
No, no. I mean, it, it, whenever I say Kamara is the best player in the NFL, it's always a little tongue in cheek. Obviously, from my, you know, analytics background, I don't actually, I don't really think running backs are that important. I do think most of their rushing production is a byproduct of the offensive line and the play calling and scheme. So yes, you're right. I mean, the the offensive line played a phenomenal game. I'm sure Kamara probably went out and got them some extra Christmas presents after last night. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the running backs do are the guys who uh, get the touchdowns in the stack column. And I mean, to set a retire record, really set the record since post-merger. I don't think anyone really considers 19, something that happened in 1929, an NFL record is, is uh, just phenomenal. Um, I mean, but, I mean, Kamara is also as a ball carrier, so fun to watch with his balance and the way he just, they guys just bounce off of him, but not in the same way you see like Derek Henry or Nick Chubb, where they lower their shoulder and make the def- uh, defenders bounce off with force. It's just like, he just like absorbs it and just keeps going. It's just like a very unique running style. And it's just very fun to watch, at least in my opinion. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, his contact balance is up there in the, amongst the best players in the league, not just running backs, but all players. Um, he's also He also glides on the field. Mm-hmm. That's a great way of describing it. Yeah, he's because he's got this really, like, cool, easy running style and yet, like, sneaky, quick movements, whereas other players, like... And he's out there with grills and a chain. Yeah, exactly, man. He's all iced up. But, the, I mean, the best play for Kamara this year was obviously that, I think it was, like, week three, maybe, where he got that screen pass out left and then took it like 60 yards and i mean he was running at like 60 percent speed i've never seen a play like that where he was running at 60 percent speed guys were bouncing off him it was the craziest play i've seen this year i think um anyway so that impressed me much much more than any of his six touchdowns this week but still great game obviously unbelievable if you have Kamara in your uh, in your lineup for, for championship week. I got to say, Jeff, I, I have a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because we had a little down week in the semifinals for SFBX, and then we would have gotten a 50-bagger 50, 50 from Kamara in the finals. I think that we would be looking really good for a championship there. But, you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So, um, anyway, speaking of championships, I think it is time that we talk a little bit about uh, some – fantasy championships and some uh some start sick questions that we got that came in this week so um i will start with uh, a friend of the show backdoor bert he asked uh the cc boys me and jeff um he asked us uh a couple questions here so i will start by saying the tight end question jeff and we can talk through it uh assuming he plays kittle or bob tanyan who are you picking jeff uh this is a really close one i think Tanyan is right about where I would draw the line, kind of like that tight end five-ish range, but I'm still firing up Kittle. Uh, the, I mean, he, even if he's on like a 60, 69% snap count like limit, he's still just you know second best tight end in the game and you got to roll with it. And like, I mean, look at the passing offense in, uh, in San Francisco. Besides that, you, there's nowhere else, nowhere else for the ball to go. So I, I, I lean... I'd probably put Kittle behind Kelsey, Waller. Um, like are definitely ahead. Then probably Goddard and or Godair if you're French. And I mean, like then five, five like four. This is like Logan Thomas, Robert Tanyan, and 
I mean, I, I think I would put Kittle ahead of Logan Thomas and Robert Tanyan. Okay. So Bob Tanyan has played every game this year besides his bye week. And George Kittle has played just six weeks. And George Kittle is only off of Bob Tanyan's uh, yardage by like, I don't know, like 50 yards or 40 yards or something like that. Um, and that is because George Kittle is among the best players in the league, not just at his position. He also has two instances of uh, 10 or more targets. He has a 15-target game in week four against Philly, 15 catches, 183 yards, and a touchdown. He also in week six, seven for 109 and a touchdown, uh, 10 targets in that one. He is, um, you know, has the highest ceiling of any tight end in the league. And, you know, you could theoretically say Darren Waller because rarely have we seen a tight end get the kind of uh, absurd uh, yardage and reception numbers that Darren Waller can muster. But anyway, there really isn't much going on, like you said, Jeff, in San Francisco outside of IU can now Kittle. Um, you know, and they've talked about a pitch count for for George Kittle. And that's always a little uncertain and, you know, kind of weird because it's like, what does that actually mean? We can't really project. You know, we don't know. OK, he'd probably play 60 percent of his normal snaps. I mean, pitch. I mean, George Kittle's like the toughest player in the league. He plays through injuries every single year. And Kyle Shanahan already said that he's one of the healthier players on this roster. So to me, I think you fire up Kittle. And specifically with regard to Bob Tanyan. Yes, Tanyan has five touchdowns in five weeks. He's got one at each of the last five games. But you know what else he has, Jeff? He has only five targets in those five uh, five games each. So, you know, 25 targets over that. George Kittle had that in two weeks in the two weeks that I described earlier. Uh, and so it's a little cherry picking. But I think the point is that George Kittle's ceiling is significantly higher. Um, and I think Bob Tanyan is a great tight end one option. But when you've got George Kittle and you've got that kind of upside, and you're trying to win the week in, ch in the championship week, I think you go with Kittle. So uh, we're uh, in unison there. Now, the other part of the question that we that was posed to us by Backdoor Burt was, we need to pick two from this group. And it's the first time he's been stacked at running back all season. So kudos to you for, for being uh, 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 resilient in that regard, Brett, because earlier you were talking about, you know, how screwed you were getting with with injuries and such. So Two from this group, Jeff, Chris Carson, Leonard Fournette, Jeff Wilson, Le'Veon Bell, Tony Pollard. He is indeed stacked at running back. And so I will let you give your answer to that first. So um, go ahead. So uh, with Pollard, obviously the issue is dependent on whether Zeke plays. If Zeke is not active, then uh, Tony Pollard would be my number one running back from that group. If Zeke is active, I don't think you can start Pollard. So from there, um, I think it's probably it's closest between Fournette, Carson, and Bell. I stumbled his way into two touchdowns and playing against Detroit again this week. He could easily do the same. Chris Carson has probably the weakest matchup against the Rams and that Seattle offense just has not been able to get going. And meanwhile, you, with Le'Veon Bell, I mean, similar to Fournette, where he, you know, Allen explosiveness isn't quite there, but against a pretty poor Atlanta defense, he could easily walk into the end zone a couple of times, especially in a game that has, like, the highest point total. So, um, you know, if I had to pick one of them, I would probably go – like I say, Paul were healthy, and I had to pick one. I think I'd probably go with uh, Chris Carson because I feel like he's probably has the safest 
floor, we know that the Seahawks are going to utilize him, and he has a strong ceiling. If, say, I was picking two because Pollard's out, and maybe I wanted to uh, chase the ceiling with both shots, maybe I go Fournette and Bell because I can really, like, get the touchdown upside from either one of them. So um, that's right where my head would be at in making that type of decision. Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm basically in lockstep with you. Obviously, if if Zeke is out, I think that Pollard is the number one play amongst that group, and it's a pretty good group. Uh, you know, not a bunch of sexy options, but in terms of guys that you have to play for your Week 16 fantasy finals matchup, I think he has a pretty good set of options. Um, I too believe that Chris Carson is the best play amongst that group if Zeke is active. And, you know, I think it comes down to him having a, a season high in snap share in week 15. We know this guy is basically a lock for double digit carries if he's healthy and playing. Uh, and he's got a healthy receiving role where Russ always looks his way, I think almost more than he should, considering the, re- the weapons that he has around him also in that passing offense. So I think that Chris Carson is a solid play. Uh, he appears to be healthy. And so I will roll with that. And now we had to pick two. And so let's just say that Zeke is healthy uh, and active. And so that kind of that really hurts Pollard's ceiling. Um, I I went with Jeff Wilson as my number three option. And I think that you could make a pretty strong case for Le'Veon Bell, um, Leonard Fournette or Jeff Wilson at this point. Um, And, you know, I at first at the time I was leaning Le'Veon Bell purely because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not there. But Le'Veon Bell has not looked good maybe with the exception of his very first play as a chief, you know, and everyone was talking about, Oh, he rushed for, what was it? 18 yards on that one, that one carry. And he didn't have, he had one 17 or more, uh, uh, yard rush in his jets career or something like that. Um, and guess what? He hasn't, he hasn't looked good in the slightest. I haven't been at all excited by what I've seen, but now he gets a backfield basically to himself, except don't forget Daryl Williams. He came in when, when, uh, Cloud Edwards, Lair went down. And I think that Le'Veon is, you know, a cheeky share of the Chiefs offense, but I'm not sure that I really count on him for anything more than low-end RB2 numbers. So Jeff Wilson to me, Jeff, I think, you know, he's, he's your namesake. He was named after you, of course. Um, I think that the 49ers running back is has been the best 49ers running back all year. That includes Jarek McKinnon's up weeks, um, Raheem Mostert's active weeks. I think Jeff Wilson has looked really good this year, and it's a product of the system. I think if you roll out Chris Carson and Jeff Wilson, uh, I feel pretty good about combining for somewhere like 180 rushing yards, maybe like six catches and two touchdowns. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that take? Um, I do like Jeff Wilson this week too. I guess I kind of, you know, the, the shenanigans as you dubbed it, um, maybe. No, 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 the, the, the hot Shanahan. Oh, you call it the head. Oh, I think it's uh, Jake Seeley. He calls it shenanigans. Yeah. Shanna, Shanahan against, I mean, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, had too much eggnog last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I do think at this point, it should just be Jeff Wilson getting 20 carries. But you just like, oh, is Jerry McKinnon going to feature in? Probably not. He seems to be just a receiving back at this point. Tevin Coleman doesn't look explosive. So, yeah, like if I knew for sure Jeff Wilson was going to be the like 15, 20 carries that, um, the lead back there should get i would really like him to it's like to start i just don't know how much i trust shanahan yeah no that's fair um so let me take another angle on this jeff with regard to tony pollard i think a lot of people in this finals i, I don't know that many people were rostering tony pollard before the last couple of weeks 
uh, in, in a traditional, you know, shallow bench, 10 team, 12 team uh, season long league because, you know, Zeke was dominating the touches. Um, so my, my expectation is that many fantasy championships have Tony Pollard on one side or the other. Um, and now let me pose this to you. I think that Tony Pollard is actually a very sneaky play in both DFS and season long this week. Now, it doesn't really pay to be that sneaky in season long. Uh, but the reason I like him, Jeff, is that obviously he, you know, we I talked about this on the solo pod on episode 69, part one. Um, but the reason that uh, I like Pollard this week is that he's obviously like the most explosive player in that backfield, probably in the offense, uh, maybe next to CeeDee Lamb. Um, but also... Uh, Zico Elliott is coming, is trying to rush back off of this calf injury. Now he has said that he's healthy. He expects to play. Uh, he's coming in questionable with the calf injury. Lower body injuries tend to be, uh, prone to re-injury come the week that they return. So I think that there is a, a chance that Zeke gets knocked out of the game at some point. And I think B, if Pollard really just outplays him and the Cowboys, you know, are playing, you know, coaching with their eyes open. Uh, I think that Pollard would probably have the better week and probably get more volume. So I think that that Zeke's presence hurts Pollard's ceiling for sure. But I also think that there's a chance that Tony Pollard actually just kind of comes out and this is a chance to depress his ownership. So with regard to DFS, I think that's pretty good. What say you, Jeff? Is Tony Pollard at all on your radar uh, for for either of these scenarios? Um, I don't hate it for a DFS standpoint, but he's already gotten priced up to 6,500. Zeke is at 6,700. So I, you can't go overly heavy because if he, it is like a really split workload, you're really just like screwed. And it's not like you're tossing in free square $4,000 running back. Like that's a legit starter. So, um, you, know, you you can't go overboard with it, but I don't mind the idea of sprinkling in a couple of Pollard uh, lineups just just in case that happens. Okay, good stuff. Um, all right, Jeff, we've got a, another start-sit situation here that I want to talk through a little bit, um, and that is with regard to Mike Evans versus George Kittle. A lot of these a lot of these questions are um, are George Kittle related. I think that's because a lot of smart teams were acquiring George Kittle that had championship hopes. Uh, and then now these teams are seeing that pay off where George Kittle is active for this, for this weekend. So um, Nick Johnson is someone who's, who's reached out um, all year on Twitter and, you know, we've had a bunch of back and forth starts it type questions and stuff. Um, and so he asked me, he said, all right, he's really on the fence. No Jimmy G. This pitch count has me uncertain. I know he has IO connection with Beathard, but um and so he's choosing between George Kittle in the flex versus Mike Evans in PPR. Um, Evans has been great lately, has a good matchup, and in, in Tampa Bay needs to win. Um, on the flip side, it's George Kittle. So that's Nick. Those are Nick Johnson's words there. And um, I've got to say, I you know I lean Kittle here, um, and I get if you have hesitation because of the pitch count, because of the offense and the situation, and who knows really what's going to happen there. But I think that you go with the better player. I think you go with the better volume projection. And I've got to say, I haven't been that impressed by Mike Evans recently. He's continued to be basically touchdown dependent all year. And yes, he had his first hundred yard game since week four last week against Atlanta. But let's remember, this is against Atlanta. Atlanta is one of the best, most pass friendly uh, defenses that you could face from a fantasy matchup standpoint. Well, so Detroit's I think up there that, too, though. I mean, it is. And Detroit, it is but, like Detroit doesn't have any coaches this week. 
But does, is Detroit going to uh, push the the point total up like Atlanta would on the other side of the ball? I mean, Atlanta is not just a, a pass funnel defense, but they're also a defense that allows a lot of possessions because their offense is pretty good and explosive. Uh, I don't know, man. Stafford has had some really good games that he could. Uh, he has the ability to. And like I said, I don't think Detroit's secondary is really any good. Like they, they're literally coaching with half a coaching staff today too, because, or maybe not literally half, but a lot of the coaching staff is sidelined to to COVID protocols. So I don't know. I mean, I think Tampa Bay, like they could easily just put the foot on the gas. And then I think the wide receivers coach is calling plays. So, I mean, if you have, why wouldn't he just go a lot more pass heavy than what um, the late Matt Patricia used to do and trying to keep up with him a little bit more. Uh, well, I, I, so, I so mean, you're I, going with Evans want, here? I'm going with Evans. I mean, if you want to go Kittle, like I, I, I love George Kittle. He's one of my favorite non-bills. I, I won't criticize that at all, but I do think Evans is the marginally better play. Okay. So I think Nick is going to take your advice there. He's uh, he's already told me that he's going to go with Evans and prayers up for him. So uh, good luck, Nick, in the championship and you know everyone else who is dealing with that kind of conundrum, so to speak. Um, so we talked a lot about George Kittle, Jeff. We talked a lot about fantasy championships and stuff. But for those of us that are not in the fantasy championship, my, myself included in our in our main league, um, let's get to the DFS part of this show. So we're going to talk about the DFS preview as if it were any other normal week. And so I think we should kick it off, Jeff, by talking about our favorite stacks this week. And then we'll build a lineup, talk about favorite standalone plays and such that we didn't already discuss. And so why don't you kick it off, Jeff? Who is your, uh, what's your favorite game stack to look at this week? Well, it's really tough not to look at the Chiefs and Falcons game and like, oh, that's, I think they have the highest point total on the slate. Nope. Uh, yes, they do. So, and obviously when you have Mahomes, Tyreek, Kelsey, and then um, no Julio on the other side, so things will condense around Calvin Ridley. But it is so cost prohibitive. Tyreek is 9,000. Mahomes is 8,500. Ridley is 8,500. Kelsey is 8,500. It is like very expensive and cost prohibitive to like really heavily stack that game. I mean, if you want to go Mahomes and Tyreek, you, you like have to run it back with Russell Gage. Um, or if you do run it back with Calvin Ridley, I mean, you're basically bargain binning the rest of your roster, which I mean, I, you can do a little bit, but it's a very tough game to stack as much as like you really look at it and like, okay, that's what I want to do. Um, so if you want to pivot somewhere else, I mean, the, the Bengals Texans isn't awful. We know the Texans can score points and that the Bengals allow points. And we know that the Texans allow points. And I mean, the Bengals looked pretty good last week. So no Tyler Boyd also means it could be a big T Higgins week. So why not roll out Deshaun Watson with Kiki Kuti and Brandon Cooks and run it back with T Higgins? Yep. No, that's a good, that's a good situation there. Um, obviously some explosive uh, options, you know, it's kind of, Grasping for straws, I guess, in terms of who's going to have the big play or who's going to have uh, a lot of the red zone looks. But, I mean, that's a lot of the situation at this point. And anyone who we do have pretty good certainty on is going to be priced up, like you were talking about with the the Chiefs and Falcons game. Um, Jeff, I have one that probably won't be surprising at all to our listeners um, because for some reason I continue to go back to the well with regard to the this team. 
But the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys matchup, 4 o'clock on Sunday, I think that this is a pretty enticing um, enticing one because I think you could sprinkle in a little Pollard and get some low ownership there. You know, we already talked about it's not the best play because of the price that he comes with. But still, obviously, we know that there are some um, strong receiving weapons in Dallas as well, um, including the tight end. Dalton Schultz is kind of an interesting play this week. But also, I think Jalen Hurts is cemented top 10 quarterback uh, status in fantasy, uh, if not closer top to top five. five. I, yeah, I think that he is worthy of our of our trust and, and worthy of uh, optimism for upside there. But also, I wanted to point out, because I talked about this a little bit on the solo pop, and in case you missed it, um, I think it's worth noting that Jalen Hurts was taking a lot of shots downfield, down the sideline, especially to Jalen Regor. Now, Alshon Jeffrey is like a ghost of his former self. He just doesn't look explosive, but he's, you know, he could still stumble into a, you know, a 30 yard catch, I suppose. Um, but more so, I think that if, if there was going to be a big Jalen Regor week, I think Dallas has been a susceptible defense. I think Jalen Hurts has taken a lot of good shots to him. And they're intent on using him. And I think Jalen Hurts is just a good standalone play as well. Miles Sanders has been a bell cow since Jalen Hurts has taken over, and he's looked really good. The offense overall has just been better. I mean, you could even throw Quez Watkins in there, who's you know been making something out of nothing uh, the last two weeks as well when he's gotten very limited opportunities. So I think that is an interesting game to stack as well. Jeff, is there another one that you've got your eye on this week? Not There's not a ton. Um, I mean, the... Titans Packers, if that wasn't on Sunday night, would also be another fantastic one. But just going through, like, okay, Broncos Chargers, yeah, I think Herbert's going to really carve him up. Is there anyone that I really want to run it back with on Denver? Maybe Tim Patrick, but not really. Like, uh, um, I mean, I guess Carolina and the football team, maybe I don't really want to play either of those quarterbacks, but maybe I'll skinny stack like DJ Moore and Terry McLaurin or DJ Moore and, and Logan Thomas. Like, um, so, I mean, the Giants-Ravens, like, I don't want to play any one of the Giants, but, I mean, sure, I'll fire up, like, Lamar and some Andrews or Hollywood. And, I mean, like, there's just not – I mean, maybe the Browns-Jets, like, fire up Baker Baker with a couple of his receiving weapons and run it back with some Jets receivers. I was going to say, I actually like a Browns-Jets uh, secondary stack, specifically in the running back situation. And the reason is Browns are 10-point favorites uh, going into Sunday. And um, the Jets basically have no one you've got your eye on except for maybe Ty Johnson. Remember Ty Johnson had his moment last year for Detroit. Uh, th- he really did nothing with it. He was like the hottest waiver wire ad. I don't remember which week it was, but... Um, whenever carry on or whatever happened, I can't remember exactly the situation, but anyways, he did basically nothing, even though he was getting really good volume. Well, um, three weeks ago, week 13, Las Vegas, he had 22 carries, 104 yards and a touchdown. Also two targets, two catches, 13 yards. Uh, two weeks ago, Seattle, they got absolutely blown out three to 40. Um, and he had a measly two yards per carry on eight touches. Um, no receiving work, but last week, Jeff, only three carries, 16 yards, uh, but six catches on six targets, 39 yards and a touchdown. I think there's like a little upside here with Ty Johnson. And at 4,500, pretty cheap, uh, you know, second RB or flex option if you needed to go cheap. Maybe you're adding a couple Chiefs or Falcons players. And then obviously, you know, if we're talking about the secondary stack, the other guy like in this is Nick Chubb, thinking that he is going to get 
a ton of work and a uh, you know a, a positive game script for him. You could obviously pivot to Kareem Hunt, who we've seen uh, get some late uh, clock grinding work as well. So it's not like it's just Nick Chubb territory. So those are two those are two guys that I'm kind of interested in, uh, or two uh, two sides of that coin that I'm interested in for a secondary stack. You know, I think then Jeff, I think let's just build a lineup with the with the lineups or the stacks that we've talked about and see what we get. So why don't you go ahead and run one? All right. Um, I'll do a Chiefs Falcons first. Yeah, let's see what little options, uh, uh, what some of those cheap options look we'll, like. We should just single stack Mahomes, right? Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Get one of Kelsey or, or uh, Tyreek probably. Yeah, I'm going to relax the ownership constraint this week because it's a tighter, tighter slate that you kind of like need to. So – Let's see. Patrick Mahomes, David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, Calvin Ridley, T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, Dallas Goddard, Nicole Hardman is the stack in the flex with the Panthers defense. I was going to say, I really like that. <laughs> I really <laughs> like that lineup until we get to who our stack is with Mahomes. So it's yeah. kind of just a way to get, it's almost the naked Mahomes. Practically with hope for the Martin Gale and Hardman. Um, all right. So if we wanted Tyreek Hill, so the best Highest projection for Tyreek Hill is Mahomes, Eckler, Jarrell Henderson, Tyreek, Russell Gage, T. Higgins, Dallas Goddard, Michael Gallup, and the Texans defense. And for that, I didn't even enter like secondary game stacks for those. I just kind of hit wrong, but we still ended up with one in uh, the Goddard and Michael Gallup anyways. So, hey, wheels up. Yeah, well, here, here's a here's a point, Jeff. Um, at the very least, Miko Hardman only thirty one hundred on DraftKings, so he's a really, 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 really cheap way to sure. get a share of the Chiefs' offense in this this high scoring game. I'll say this: at the very least, he had nine targets in Week fifteen. Um, pretty quiet nine targets. He had uh, he also had a touchdown. Uh, only three catches for twenty two yards, but he had a touchdown. He's also been a solid re- return option this year. He's had. Uh, one or two return touchdowns, I believe. And, you know, going all the way back to week seven, he at least, sh- or week eight, excuse me, against the Jets, he actually showed a ceiling where he had nine targets, seven catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. So, I mean, there's a chance that Miko Hardman could have a uh, a game that is worthy of playing. I just, you know, with, with the situation being what it is in Kansas City, even if you have one or maybe even two injuries on this starting offense, I don't think that Miko Hardman is a great projection for, you know, a Tyreek Hill type game or, you know, something like that. So uh, it's just not great upside, I guess, for 3,100. And that's saying a lot. So um, anyway, any other uh, uh, iterations you want to run here? So this one has Mahomes, Antonio Gibson, Eo Smith, Tyreek Hill, Calvin Ridley, Rashad Perriman, Dallas Goddard, Cam Sims. So actually end up with two Falcons in there with Eo Smith and Calvin Ridley if you wanted to kind of run that and then you really had to get uh cheap at wide receiver three because you have Hill and Ridley and end up with Rashad Perriman and then Cam Sims in the flex, but it could work. Let's see what happens with Jalen Hurts. Uh, skinny stack, run it back. Jalen Hurts, David Montgomery, Austin Eckler, Tyreek Hill, T. Higgins, Michael Gallup, Dallas Goddard. Denzel Mims and the Panthers defense. I really feel like a lot of these Hertz lineups are like all stacked with Goddard or <laughs> it's just not. I, I love it. Um, I think Goddard is, I've loved playing him every, every week that he's been healthy this year. And I think that, uh, that he is by a much preferable play 
over Zach Ertz. I got to say, at least Zach Ertz had like a couple plays last week um, where he was getting open. I think that's just a product of the stress that both of those healthy tight ends can put on the defense. But I think Goddard's a better play. I think Jalen Hurts uh, excels in the area that Dallas Goddard excels. So there's something to be said about that. So I, I like that stack. And I, I obviously like building around Jalen Hurts. I think that he is a, you know, he's getting more expensive, but he's still um, a way to get a share of a QB1 overall upside, I think, um, outside of the top five most expensive options. He's 7,000 on DraftKings this week. Um, and I mean, quite a pretty quick ascension there for a great player, but he had 40 DraftKings points uh, last game. So um, anyway, Jeff, there is something I wanted to bring up real quick, and that was kind of returning to our conversation about Calvin Ridley from a few weeks ago. Um, we talked about how, you know, weeks one and one through three, really, he couldn't miss. I mean, he had over 100 yards each week. He also had double-digit targets. He had four touchdowns in those first three weeks. Complete dud in week four against Jair Alexander, one of the best cover corners in the league. And then comes back week five against Carolina, another 100-yard game, 10 targets, no touchdowns that week. And then, you know, continues to kind of stay afloat going into towards their bye. He has a, a, he's out in week nine. And we were kind of talking about how we hadn't seen much of a ceiling from him uh, since those first two weeks where he had the double touchdowns in both games and over 100 yards. Um, and then guess what? All of a sudden, he almost mirrors those first five weeks where he's got actually a little bit better, um, where he's got uh, the last five games. He's had five or more catches each week. He's had nine or more targets each week. And specifically the last three, Jeff, this is very reminiscent of those first three weeks. He's had over 100 yards each game. He's had uh, two touchdowns in those three weeks and double-digit targets. So, you know, Julio Jones has been banged up now. Um, we've talked about Julio's impact being active, being a good thing for other Falcons players because he adds more stress to the defense. And it's almost like when he's not there, the volume might go up, but maybe that the overall offense is hurt, that that is kind of like a net neutral, maybe even a net negative for them. But we've seen Calvin Ridley really come back into his, like, you know, no doubt wide receiver one standing uh, the last couple of weeks. So, you know, is Calvin Ridley a product of lack of Julio? Is he, you know, a better second fiddle? What 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 say you about Calvin Ridley uh, after we've seen kind of a resurgence the last few weeks? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> week 14 against the Chargers, he had eight for 124 and a touchdown. Overall, though, the Falcons really struggled, <clears throat> lost the game. But for Ridley specifically, I mean, 39 yards and a touchdown came off of a trick play, which it obviously for fantasy purposes, it still counts like just as much. But I was like, okay, like, yeah, he had a solid game. That trick play, though, was really what drove his fantasy value. And like, you look at that, I'm like, you know, how much do you really want to kind of like factor that in? I'm not really sure because it doesn't really seem as like a sustainable manner. Um, especially when like the offense really struggled, but then yeah, that, last week he really just strutted in like a bit of a shootout with Tampa Bay. Um, so, um, you know, he could easily do the same this week against Kansas City because, like, as we think, it could just be the shootout of the week. So, uh, I mean, I do think from a fantasy perspective, like, he is. To me, he's still kind of in that 
uh, like on a long term, I, mean, I guess you want like, you know, for this week alone or like, you know, more of a longer term, I guess at this point would be. I, I think his, I think his status this week is pretty evidently a wide receiver yeah. one. Um, yeah. I think I'm more curious because, you know, we talked a lot, you know, Evan Silva had a really strong take on Calvin Ridley. I was much more on that side of things than you were. Um, you know, in, in terms of him being a great ceiling and floor option for season long, this is obviously in the summer pre-draft. Um, so just kind of curious, you know, because we saw this really rapid uh, hot start for Ridley and then we saw him kind of fizzle out a little bit and now he's resurged uh, yeah, he again. Yeah, like wide receiver 25 from weeks 3 through 13. Yeah. Then, which like is kind of part of my reason that I didn't really like having him ranked as high is that like I said, I, I could see him definitely finishing as a in the lower end wide receiver one, which is, I believe is where he had him ranked. Like I definitely thought that could happen. I just figured the way it would happen would be a, like a few very boom weeks the way we saw, and then like a bit of. I mean, I guess to an extent he was more consistent than I expected, but still like numerous weeks of lower production. Well, let me let me put it the season overall in in a certain context. So we already talked about week four, Green Bay matchup with Jair Alexander, complete dud by far. You know, not even no, no, no other week was even close. So if you throw that one out for a second, and then you also have week eight against Carolina, he was injured early. Uh, you know, he only had four targets before he got injured. Um, so I mean, it's an in game injury. Not much you can do there. And then he was out subsequently in week nine before their bye. Um, if you look at the rest of the weeks, which are, are all the weeks that something crazy didn't happen, or uh, I guess would be more representative of a normal week, that gives us, I think, a seven or a t- sorry, a twelve-week sample. Of those twelve weeks, he had ninety yards or a touchdown, or sorry, ninety yards and or a touchdown in every single week. Um, you know, his floor game, I suppose, then was uh, a, a thirteen-point game in week thirteen, five catches, one hundred eight yards on ten touchdowns. Uh, or maybe it was the the week 11 game against New Orleans, rather. Five for 90, no touchdowns on nine targets. Um, other than that, Jeff, he has been a model of consistency. I really think that the floor has been excellent for him. I think the problem has been the lack of ceiling since those first two weeks, just because the touchdowns kind of dried up. I mean, before the last two weeks, he only had three touchdowns after score, uh, in like nine weeks versus four in the first two. So, I mean, that, that's at least my feeling on Ridley. And I think the ceiling gets raised when... Julio is out of the lineup because his uh, his target numbers have been excellent the last couple of weeks. Um, and then there's just a higher chance, I think, for a touchdown for him there, even though Julio isn't, for whatever reason, a touchdown magnet um, or red zone target magnet. So I don't know. Th- those are my thoughts on Ridley, at least. I think it's an interesting thing to continue to evaluate. And we'll talk about him when we talk about our process plays um, moving forward. So, um Jeff, any other top plays that you want to talk about with regard to the DFS preview? Guys that we haven't mentioned yet that are good standalone options, maybe a secondary stack, anything like that? Um, I like Jonathan Taylor this week, and uh, I do think he's going to be lower owned. Looking at the, I mean, he's currently the fourth most expensive running back. It's Nick Chubb at one, who I think is actually a fade because the Jets' run defense is pretty good. Then it's David Montgomery, um, who is just, you know, hitting like all against all the weakest defenses and no um, backfield competition. Austin Eckler against Denver and then Jonathan Taylor against Pittsburgh. So I think I like Taylor as a contrarian play here because I think a lot of people are going to see Pittsburgh 
and associate them with the, like, the stout defense that they were to start the season and not want to play Jonathan Taylor and pivot to Chubb, Montgomery, Eckler, or go slightly down to Miles Sanders. If you, like the Pittsburgh defense, though, over the last few weeks against the run has not been the same team. I mean, look, Gio Bernard was running all over them on some plays last week, and John Taylor is a you know, far better player than Gio Bernard. So I think he really has, like, you know, pretty much the same ceiling as any of these other guys, and uh, we'll have probably like half the ownership. So I think Jonathan Taylor is a, a, like a really good contrarian play at a pretty condensed uh, running back slate this week. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a uh, good take there. I've got one for you at tight end, Jeff, and I think this is mispriced um, even before the news about Terry McLaurin. So Terry McLaurin is listed as doubtful on DraftKings. I believe he's already been ruled out, uh, or at the very least, he's not expected to play. So take that into consideration here. I don't think DraftKings had time to adjust for that before they locked in their prices. But Logan Thomas is coming in at third third most expensive tight end on the slate. Uh, but only 4,900 relative to Mark Andrews is the second most 5,700. I think they're giving Mark Andrews a little too much credit or maybe vice versa, uh, lack of credit for Logan Thomas. But uh, to me, Logan Thomas is a far superior play, especially when you factor in the matchup and just the recent performance. I mean, last week, Jeff, 15 targets, 13 catches, 101 yards against Seattle. Uh, and then the week before that, seven targets, 43 yards, no touchdown. But then Pittsburgh, nine targets, 98 yards, a touchdown. Dallas, four targets, four, uh, 20 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he's phenomenal. I've been riding he's him. phenomenal. I've been riding him uh, the second stretch of half of the fantasy season. And it's, yeah, he's kind of like this year's Darren Waller. And I mean, in terms of the pricing, I mean, like their pricing is kind of designed to affect ownership. So it must just be that for whatever reason, people still don't believe him or still like are afraid to play a player tied to Dwayne Haskins. I don't know, but yeah, 4,900 when you can lock in 15 targets, like that's phenomenal. He really should probably be locked up in a lot more lineups. And this is Jeff, this is his first week with uh, a salary greater than $4,000. He has been an upward trend uh, the last four weeks. Now he goes from 3,100 against Pittsburgh in week 13, understandable dip, I guess, because if you factor in the matchup, but he killed it. And then now he's up to 4,900. Um, but he's just had a really, really strong season, regardless of the quarterback carousel. I think actually Washington players overall have been very resilient to the quarterback shuffling uh, behind center. And so Antonio Gibson is, uh, I think, tentatively expected back this week with the turf toe. I would project him for probably, uh, you know, an optimistic projection would probably be like 15 touches. Um, I'm not even sure we can we can count on that just because with turf toe he could you know he could have one touch and then they rule him out. Um, so anyway, I think Logan Thomas is the best share of this offense that you could get this week. He's resilient regardless of the quarterback play and uh, the matchup is good too. So that's at least one guy I want to talk about there. Is there anyone else, Jeff, that you wanted to call out before we move on? Nah, that's more or less it. I mean, we went through some of our favorite plays and the stats as well. So. Um, yeah, John Taylor's the only guy that really we didn't get a chance to touch on. Uh, we've got a 430 game, San Francisco and Arizona, and we've got Miami and Las Vegas in Saturday evening. And then we've got all the other games on Sunday as well. Um, and and uh, the Monday option with the Bills and the Patriots. We're going to talk about that. But so let's talk about best bets. We're going to include the Saturday ones just in case if someone listens to this right before uh, the options come out. So is there anyone in particular that is standing out to you as like your favorite best bet play this week? Uh, the Colts at plus um, 
0.5 against Pittsburgh. I mean, Ben just looks completely washed. Panthers plus one, um, especially if Haskins is the quarterback, or you know maybe you even just toss those two in a teaser. So you have Panthers with a touchdown and the Colts with almost a touchdown. I mean, that looks pretty pretty nice. And then Titans plus three. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think their offense is just as good, if not maybe even better than Green Bay's at this point. And Green Bay's got a little bit of a better defense, but um, I don't know. The public seems to kind of overweight defense when setting these lines. So Tennessee at plus three, I guess, would be my three picks of the week. Okay. Um, Jeff, what about Seattle? Minus one against the Rams. Reminder, the Rams just lost last week to the Jets. The winless Jets picked up their first win of the season, jeopardizing their first overall pick status, and they beat the Rams. The Seahawks are one-point favorites. The Seahawks lost two weeks ago to the Giants, though. I mean, but still, they're they're in different leagues. The Giants are contending for the division lead, and the Jets are winless, the worst team in football. So so you think that's fairly pressure? The Seahawks have really not been. I mean, maybe I I wouldn't push the Seahawks more than two and a half, and it's a divisional matchup. The the Rams did the Rams beat them last time? Uh, um, I can't remember. That was like week week and week nine, I think it was. So was far, the matchup week so, ten. I mean, the, the Seahawks just have not been playing well either. Um, and the Rams won twenty three to sixteen back in November, like mid November. So I don't know. Like neither team is really looking that good right now. So. Um, yeah, I, I would slightly lean Seattle, but don't really feel strongly about it. Okay. Well, I, I think that um, basically pricing it as a pick em, I'm definitely picking Seattle there. Uh, I mean, you know, there's another – the alternative case here is that the Rams pissed off about, you know, losing to the only win this team in football um, going into the week, and so maybe they come out hot and firing. But And, you know, they did actually almost come back, but still, like that was on the back of some kind of – broken plays or, or big uh, returns and such. So uh, anyway, Jeff, an, a game, this is not regard to bets, but I think that probably the game I'm looking forward to the most this week is Tennessee and Green Bay. That's the Sunday night game. Uh, Green Bay is three-point favorites. Over-unders at 54.5. So one of the higher, I think the second highest, um, or sorry, the the highest on the, if you look at the whole, uh, the entire week that's remaining. Um I think that is going to be an amazing game. Tannehill's playing out of his mind. I think Tennessee's offense is just clicking in a lot of a lot of different ways. Um, and we know that Green Bay has a potential MVP uh, in Aaron Rodgers at the helm. Devontae Adams is healthy. We already talked about Bob Tanyan a little bit. I just think that this is one of the more exciting matchups. And neither defense has been really what we expected, I think, this year. Tennessee's been terrible. Uh, I thought they were going to at least be okay. Um so they definitely have, uh, you know, undercut my expectations. And Green Bay is, you know, kind of up and down. They they have big moments. They've got really talented players, but I don't think they're a powerhouse like they were maybe last year. So Jeff, who would you pick in that matchup? Green Bay's favored by three, but uh, if I if I had to put it as a pick'em, um, if it, pick them, yeah, Green Bay at home, I would probably still take Green Bay. Um, okay. Yeah, I said offenses are relatively comparable, so. Yeah, I would end up taking the home team with a slightly better defense, or I guess that's fair. Well, better defense, but yeah, yeah, they're slightly better. There's actually considering that Green Bay's only Green Bay's only three point favorites at home. That really means, uh, if if Vegas is still making home field advantage three points, like that means that they basically kind of pick them. 
pick them in on a neutral field. But I don't know, I've seen where like the home field advantage has really dropped like half a point in reality. So maybe it's not that whole three point adage isn't what it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, Jeff, why don't we move on now to talk about our Buffalo Bills? We can talk about this in, in the sense of uh, our how we're going to bet AFC this game. East champion Buffalo Bills. That is correct. Uh, and, and obviously playing the team that has been on top of the AFC East for 20 years before this year, um, the New England Patriots. And so Bills are playing in New England. I think this is a game that, that I think Bills fans, um, Bills players have had circled on their calendar playing in New England. You know, we basically handled the Patriots earlier in the year. Cam's fumble really sealed it. Uh, I think that the game is probably headed to overtime. I think the Bills still would have won. But I think the game is a little closer than it should have been. Anyway, New England is even more banged up. They've looked bad recently. And they get the home they get a home field advantage at here at least here. And Buffalo is playing you know on top of the AFC right now. One of the best teams in football, obviously. Only a seven point favorite. Um That's a lot. I don't know. I'm I mean I don't think these teams are in the same league. We talked about this. I mean, seven we talked points, about this. though, is still a ton. Like, you you don't get that much higher than seven without it being, like, a top three versus bottom three team. So, like, that's still pretty solid respect for Buffalo to get a whole touchdown. Well, that that's a good point. And I think also in terms of the betting standpoint, um, you know, if you go to 10 or something, very easy for a team to come in and, and backdoor there. So, um, yeah, and it's, I do anyway. think it uh, has one of the lower – Point to- yeah, 46 point totals on the lower end too. So uh, that's the other part is if you're already projecting, you said a lower scoring game, then yeah, it's a lot easier for, even though the Bills can look, be dominant throughout the most of the game, it could still be 24 to 10. And then, you know, the Patriots score of touchdown, a meaningless touchdown at the end or whatever. So um, yeah, I mean, plus you have potential, you know, just wintry weather might slow things down a little bit where instead of being, you know, like all of a sudden both teams are down two or three possessions just in general because uh, slower pace of play or whatever. But I don't know, the Bills just don't seem to care and just air it out, like, you know, no matter what. So I don't know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if if they had Stephon Gilmore, um, they would be maybe a slightly different situation. But I really don't think New England, you know, with this defense that has been ravaged by COVID opt-outs and now Stephon Gilmore uh, going down with the Torrent quad, I just don't think that they're going to be able to contain this Buffalo offense. So to me, Jeff, I'm projecting this one at 30 to 13 in favor of Buffalo in New England to really cement the best season for the Bills in 25 years. Um, and I think that this is going to be um, – I think this is a, like a stamp game. I think this is a game that if you come in and, and absolutely dominate New England on their home turf, you've said, hey, we're here to stay. Um, I think that the Bills are absolutely capable of putting together that kind of game. Whenever you're whenever you're facing Bill Belichick, it's always a little iffy. But to be honest, I just don't think that he has the chess pieces to contain what what is one of the best offenses in the league now. And also the Bills defense, we've talked about it a lot. I've, talked, I've mentioned it every time we talked about the Bills the last couple of weeks that they have been on the up and up. Cam Newton has been on the down and down. Uh, I just don't think that we really have much to worry about, period. Besides, you know, maybe maybe the Patriots elevate their level of play to the opponent this week. I don't know. We haven't really seen it much since week two or three. So anyway, 30 to 13 is my pick. So that would be Bills heavily in the spread and the under. 
Uh, how about Stefan Diggs? He is he's he's got two games to go. Uh, he's already he's going to have a new record for targets in a season for him. He had 149 2018 in Minnesota. He already is leading the league in receptions. He's got 111. 1300 yards unbelievable all year he had he had kind of a slower um period in the middle of the year but has really really come on the last like five or six weeks and i mean he's had double digit catches not just double digit target double digit catches the last three games only one touchdown he hasn't been a touchdown magnet this year um but i think that's just a product of the bills having a lot of talented players and a really creative offense so we haven't needed to key in on him what he has been a magnet of is first downs uh, he absolutely, you know, destroys in the rock metric that we talk about all the time, receiver opportunity composite score. And yeah, I think that, you know, he's proven, you know, Justin Jefferson has had an unbelievably strong rookie season. You know, we talked about it probably a couple of weeks ago, Jeff. Uh, I, I posed a question to you. Who would you rather have, Justin Jefferson or Stephon Diggs for the Bills purposes? I'm still riding with Diggs, man. I mean, Jefferson has been great, but Diggs is the best route runner in the league. He is a true wide receiver one alpha capable of beating any cornerback on any field at any time. So to me, uh, this has been one of the best moves a team has made in the last couple of seasons is to acquire Stephon Diggs. So uh, any other thoughts on the Bills, on Diggs, anything? Circle the wagons. Circle the wagons, baby. Get the win this week, rest up week 17, and be ready to go for the playoffs in week one. Absolutely. So, Jeff, do you know why I did uh, part one and part two here? Not just because of the solo aspect it's, uh episode 69 episode 69 jeff i knew you had nice. this one circled on your calendar nice this this is the golden episode and i had to make sure that you were a part of our episode 69 coverage jeff so i would have been very uh, hurt if not yeah so i wanted to make sure that you got your chance to lay a couple jokes in there you had a nice performance uh <laughs> in this episode i will say so i think our, our fans and, and audience are gonna notice that um you know so any other any other thoughts here as we wrap up episode sixty nine? Uh, it's just been a real nice season again. Uh, you know, really nice to be back in the championship. It's been a little too long, just not quite having things break the way that you need to. But uh, that's uh, again, Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy New Year. We should have at least one more out before then, and uh, just have another profitable weekend. Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. We hope you guys had a great holiday. Uh, if you didn't catch it, we've got episode 69, part one, my solo pod talking about more of, more of some NFL storylines, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, uh, you know, Tony Pollard versus Zeke. We got a lot of good stuff in there. So uh, pretty short episode, about 35 minutes. So anyway, uh, make sure to catch that. Obviously, as usual, our tools are still up on the site, contestacatch.com forward slash ROC for the rock score and forward slash DFS for the DFS optimizer tool, which is set up and ready to roll for a profitable weekend this Sunday. So uh, make sure to check that out before submitting your lineups. Obviously, if you guys need to reach us, you know where to find us on Twitter at BuffBillsStats for Jeff and at Contessa Catch for me. Uh, we hope you guys that are in the fantasy finals, you know, can come back and report some uh, some championships here. So make sure to let us know if you did. Uh, you know, if we helped you this year, we're happy to. If we hurt you this year, don't let us know. We want to live in blissful ignorance. So anyway, um, all right, guys, thank you for tuning in. We hope to catch you next time.